0: Welcome to Peak Mind, I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I couldn't be more excited for today's episode with the one and only Dave Asprey. Dave is one of the founders of biohacking, and biohacking is is the ways in which we can sort of hack our biology to live uh, our most optimal selves. Uh, he has a purported aim of living till he's hundred and eighty so he has researched a lot of the exponential technologies as well as sort of ancestral wisdom to help you uh, live your best life and your healthiest and happiest life and has found a lot of the tools both um, offline tools as well as really cool uh, technological devices uh, I actually spent the last weekend at the Upgrade conference, which was formerly the Bulletproof conference, but uh, the Upgrade side of the business is actually oriented towards a lot of these devices and creating really cool, it's almost like a gym, but with, you know, this amazing 21st century technology. Um, you know, we're talking, you can get uh, intravenous glutathione shots, uh, which is a really really powerful and potent, uh, antioxidant. They have cryo, therapy. I just did an episode, um, for mind key around the benefits of cold exposure. Um, they have, uh, really amazing flotation device, devices, which help you to get into theta state, this, you know, the deep meditative state. Um, and it goes on and on really, really powerful, um, uh, experience at upgrade and powerful content. I've, I've read book, Dave's books, uh, he's, of course, the author of Bulletproof Diet, as well as Headstrong and Game Changers. but um, And also a speaker on, uh, if you haven't checked it out, I'll link to it below, the uh, Broken Brain series, which is what I, I gave my mom when my dad uh, was um, diagnosed with dementia. And it's one of the most powerful series uh, filled with experts around how to unlock the potential of your brain, as well as how to protect it uh, from the myriad of Potential toxins that we're surrounded by. So, I'll link that up below. I think they're about to do a uh, a repeat um, a repeat presentation of it, and it's incredible. I've actually watched several of the episodes uh, two, three times. So, I'll link that below. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Uh, Four Sigmatic is one of my favorite brands. Um, Their founder, Taro, hopefully I'll have on the show in the not so distant future. One of the mo- most knowledgeable guys uh, I've ever met as it relates to the power of fungi and mushrooms and I take their coffee and drink it every day the Lions main coffee it's amazing organic Um, as Dave uh, who's also a passionate uh, coffee drinker will tell you you know mycotoxins um, are laden in a lot of traditional and conventional coffees and so I love Four Sigmatic because the coffee is super clean and Probably the best part is, as I get closer to the afternoon, I find that the caffeine load is less than traditional coffee, so I don't get the jitters or that crash feeling. So if you're keen, highly recommend it. Check it out. If you go to Four Sigmatic F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com backslash peak, you'll get 15% off your order. Um, this episode is also brought to you by Organifi. Organifi is my go-to source for uh, my, my whole plant protein, uh, which I had today with blueberries and spinach as well as a pre and probiotic, it's my, when I'm coming out of inter, my intermittent fasting in the morning, oftentimes my, uh, I'll have coffee, which doesn't necessarily break the fast if you, if you drink it black, um, but my first meal is oftentimes this Organifi smoothie with, filled with sort of micronutrients and blended with the, their, their protein, which is delicious. Um, and uh, some of these, uh, they're green juice oftentimes. And then I put in my own fresh fruit and vegetables to, to mix it up with a pre and probiotic. And that's kind of my super, super fuel. So check out Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And if you put in uh, Peak Mind at checkout, you get 20% off. So those are some of my hacks that I use to uh, optimize my day. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce the one and only Dave Asprey. Alright, I'm here with Dave Asprey, uh, who is founder of Bulletproof, the brand. Uh, coffee, of course, is, is what I just drank and am enamored with. Um, but also, uh, a wide range of not only products, but a, but a really profound philosophy. and. I know you spent upwards of, um, these I think the estimates
1: were $300,000 hacking your biology. It was $300,000 when I started, yeah. but I've done a lot in the past few years. It's probably, we're pushing a million dollars now.
0: Wow. Okay. So the benefit is you can relay the knowledge that you've garnered through your own guinea pig testing to the masses. Yeah.
1: yeah men's Fitness just called, called me the world's the most, most famous biohacker, biohacker. And, and some oh, of the okay. stuff I do makes no sense unless you intend to share it. Uh, like, I have a uh, $130,000 uh, contraption that changes air pressure rapidly on my entire body. It looks like a jet fighter cockpit. Like, no sane person would have one of those. By the way, I drive a pickup truck. Uh, like,
0: <laughs> this was a Tesla sitting right there. Yeah, you're right. more into the uh, the testing apparatus in the car. Right, yeah. like,
1: it's a good pickup truck. Well, no, don't get me wrong, but it, it's it's not a high-performance sports car, right? Sure. Because my priorities are different. And the things I learned from this, uh, for instance, one of the effects of that is that it increases the number of stem cells in the body. So when I got stem cell treatments done, which is another thing that you probably don't need to do when you're 43, but like I'm planning to live to 180, so I'm gonna get started early, uh, they noticed an unusually large number of stem cells uh, in my marrow, which is great. Like Apparently the biohacks work, and I can talk about that. I can share that with people. And just knowing that something is possible, you gotta remember that I got my first computer when I was eight. And this was in 1980. Yeah. This was before DOS existed. All right. In fact, we'll go way back in time. My mother was the first employee of Microsoft.
0: Wow. She was a
1: secretary half-time when Microsoft was three people in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, and one of the founders of Microsoft bought my crib. By the way, my mom never got any stock options or anything. They moved up to Seattle and became big and famous. They were just a tiny startup there. But I had a computer before DOS was out. And... You look at what has changed, and all of the stuff we're using right now has more compute power than I had back then. Sure. So when I spend $100,000 dollars to hack something in my body, and I can share with millions of people, and I'm reaching about five million people a month, a bulletproof radio, two million people or two million downloads a month, and growing. So we're talking like hundreds of lifetimes worth of content here. So it makes sense to make an investment like that to show something's possible because when we document an effect that medicine maybe doesn't even know about or only a few researchers at an obscure institution are experimenting with but something that can change the fundamental nature of what we're capable of doing um, yeah i'm going to do that i'm going to talk about it and that'll mean that the price performance curve for these things drops dramatically this whole exponential technology idea so i'm getting the knowledge out there. I'll be the guinea pig, and I have some scars from being a guinea pig, No, I have, like real scars, <laughs> but it's worth it, yeah. because this is just like like creating change. And once a million people realize, you mean you actually can have longer telomeres, you mean you can get younger, you can grow your own stem cells, you can add 10 years of quality life, then we are going to ignite an entire new industry around this stuff. And that new industry will make it affordable, will make it cheap. And you'll be able to go to your your corner bulletproof coffee shop and have access to these technologies. So I'd like that. But get it wherever. It doesn't have to be for me. Half the stuff I talk about, I didn't invent. I just know the inventors, and I'm working with it. So that's why I live on the cutting edge. And I always have. Uh, when I was 22, the first e-commerce on the planet was me selling a caffeine T-shirt out of my dorm room. Uh, literally, the first product sold over the Internet. And... Uh, so that's just what I do. It, it, someone has to like, light the fire and it'll take off and it'll become incredibly cheap and incredibly affordable. 30 years from now, you'll be able to go in and have a whole body systems upgrade that no one today can even imagine because of these types of changes. But like, who's gonna light the
0: fire? I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So can you share a little bit more about the hacks that you found to be um, most profound in terms of upgrading People's quality of life. Like, what are some? Of, what are some of the insights that you could share? Considering you know, everyday people maybe not you know hugely aware of biohacking or even what it is. So, sure. talking a little bit about what the basics of upgrading your your life look like, and and what what are some of the most profound results you've seen?
1: So, biohacking is is the art and science of changing the environment around you so that your biology will do what you want it to do. And different people have different goals. I'm going to live a long time. Your goal may be like, I want to get swole. You're going to choose a different set of biohacking technologies. And the environmental inputs you're going to give more heavy lifting, eat more protein, and do things, uh, maybe inject hormones. That's pretty common in that field. And I have no problem with using hormones or pharmaceuticals or anything else. Like, my goals are very solid. I want to live to 180 and I want to feel amazing the entire time and have like huge intelligence and huge energy and just the ability to change the world. Like, that's what I'm setting up my environment for. And that's why I have a biohacking lab at home. But you may be like, you know <laughs> I want to party every night I mean you kind of look no, I'm kidding, <laughs> but, but like it's, it's good the, the idea is, is the power is yours we used to believe that oh well I'm just gonna will it into existence I'm gonna just want my body to do it and then I'm going to use my willpower to force something to happen willpower is a finite resource and you will not win when I weighed 300 pounds when I was having like, serious cognitive issues while getting my MBA at one of the top business schools in the world, I'm like, I better take some smart drugs. I better start getting pictures of my brain because I can't hang when I have the accelerator pushed all the way to the floor and, and, and I'm not making it up the hill. Like, Something's wrong. And there, there were things wrong, biologically wrong. But it wasn't me, it wasn't a moral failing, it wasn't weakness or laziness. It was actually that my environment, the foods I ate, the way I slept, my light exposure, And my inner thought processes, my gut biome, they were all wrong. Mm. And they were wrong because I didn't know that they mattered and I didn't know how to control them. And biohacking is that study of saying, how do we change all those things? And what I learned that's perhaps most important is that the hardest, scariest changes we make are all personal growth related. Becoming aware of the stories you tell yourself that aren't true, Mm. Uh, learning to meditate, learning to forgive, and things like that they take willpower too. And if you're wasting all your willpower because you're tired all the time because you eat crap, your progress on a personal level will be very, very slow. When you set up your biology right, you set up the environment around you to make you stronger instead of to just unconsciously suck energy from you all the time, it's a lot easier to make progress. So the first thing I would talk about yes. to answer the, what are the most important biohacks. One is the phenomenal power of ketosis. Ketosis is something that used to only happen if you fasted for four days. Pretty much every spiritual tradition calls for a period of fasting. And when you fast, your body switches from burning carbs and sugar to burning fat, and your brain wakes up in a new way. Because the glial cells in your brain, there's neurons and glial cells and a bunch of other things, but those are two big types. They prefer ketones. They actually will use that instead of sugar. So we're stuck biologically. Either we burn sugar and feed the neurons, or we burn ketones and feed the glial cells. I cheat. I use Bulletproof Coffee, which has brain octane oil, which is not coconut oil. It's not MCT oil. It's a subset of that. It's just one type of fat. And when you put that in your body, I pour it on my food at every meal too, it gives you ketones. So now I have all the clarity of what happens when you fast in a cave for four days to have some sort of enlightenment experience or a vision or whatever else. And I have carbohydrates because I eat protein, because I eat a moderate amount of the right carbs, as I wrote about in my Bulletproof Diet book, which was really about willpower, not weight loss. You just like getting energy into the brain really matters. So I cheat. So if you can have some ketones present every day, you will have no hunger. Mm-hmm. So I go all morning without eating. I'll have bulletproof coffee in the morning, but there's no protein and there's no carbohydrate in there. So my body, perfectly stable insulin, and my liver isn't doing anything that has to do with digesting protein. So all those enzymes are working on my body to make Mm. my body stronger. And I'm effectively fasting, but I got all this extra energy. So I'm running circles around people who are 20 years younger than me. Like I need less sleep than they do. It's not that I sleep less, it's that I need less sleep. That's kind of profound, just from having more of the right kinds of fat in the diet. Uh, So that would be one thing that anyone can do, but you got to not eat the wrong fats. You can get the the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap, it's free on the website, so just go there, search for Bulletproof Diet Roadmap. It's downloadable, you put it on your your fridge, and it tells you, these foods are bulletproof, these foods, some of them might make you weak, you don't know which ones are bad for you, and then these foods are pretty much bad for everyone. So... Is there a particular type of
0: testing Mm -hmm. and or elimination uh, diet that you recommend in terms of establishing your baseline so you can really you can really have a sense of what fuels are working mm-hmm. um, best for your body? There's
1: a two-week period in the Bulletproof Diet book where I describe this, and what you do is you only eat foods that are bulletproof. Mm. And there's this whole broad set of foods that everyone thinks are healthy, but healthy doesn't mean anything when you say that, because we're genetically different. For instance, 20% of people get rheumatoid arthritis from eating members of the nightshade family, which are potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant and bell pepper, and cayenne pepper, and things like that. So if you're one of those, that's, that's one in five. Okay, this is not a small number of people. We're talking hundreds of millions of people. Actually, if you look at the global population, it's more than that, it's like a billion.
0: And From the toxicity in nightshades? Well, it's not even toxicity. Or just the way it interacts with that particular it, physiology.
1: Yeah, it's because if you have these types of sugars on the outer surface of your cells, when you eat members of the nightshade family, they have a protein called a lectin, and that protein will adhere to your cells and cause inflammation, swelling, and autoimmune conditions for you. It'll also raise your leptin, not lectin levels. and leptin resistance makes you fat. So all of a sudden, you're eating bell peppers, like these are delicious and they're full of you know, of superfood benefits, whatever those mean. Well, for me, I'm like that's a kryptonite food. You, you put some cayenne pepper on my stuff. I love cayenne pepper, but when I eat it, like I experience muscle and joint pain that is really annoying. I had it every day of my life until I figured this out. That is a suspect food. It is not good and it's not bad. It just makes a large swath of the population weak. It turns out, for you to increase the quality of your life, you must know what foods are kryptonite for you. And they're different for each person. And there are a few people, like maybe one in a hundred, who can pretty much eat like Twinkies and they feel fine all the time. Their offspring will be weaker if they do that. But they generally don't feel it because they have profoundly strong mitochondria, because they're genetically lucky and they're that way because their grandmother ate really good food and their mom ate really good food. Like this is a multi generational epigenetic problem. So. What that means is you gotta try it, but it's only two weeks. You eliminate all the suspect foods at once. This is very different than elimination diets, which take almost two years to complete. I've done one of those many years ago. So at the end of two weeks, you're like, my brain feels better. I had my Bulletproof coffee every morning, which gave me this extra energy, and I turned off inflammation. I stopped doing whatever it is that makes me weak. Like, this is the best I've felt in years. I just had to buy new pants because I lost weight. Like, the world, like someone pulled the the covers off your head, it's that big of a difference. That's why I wrote The Bulletproof Diet. And then have pizza, beer, and cheesecake. (laughs) And the next morning you're gonna go, this is how I used to feel. Mm. That is the aha moment, because then you're gonna be really motivated to go through the suspect foods and find out which ones work for you and which ones don't. You can get a blood test that'll tell you whether you have allergies with antibodies, but there are non-antibody mediated sensitivities to food, like gluten and things like that, where really just not eating them for a while and then just having a ton, that's the best way to figure it out.
0: What do you what do you recommend for specifically very passionate about brain and brain health, which I know you know uh, quite a bit about? If you're looking to upgrade your brain, right? I was bl- doing research lately and showed that you know now, and we we talked you talked about being uh, 300 pounds at one point, but now obesity there's more obese people on the planet than non obese people, and pre diabetes is rampant. I mean, they say now estimate now half the Chinese population potentially pre diabetic. So if you're looking at the, this global um epidemic which is lifestyle related. And you were to look at sort of ways in which we can mitigate that risk and and then take it a bit further in terms of how do we upgrade our brains so that we're operating at our highest levels. What are some of the ways that you look at sort of the I guess it's two separate questions, but what are the ways in which we as a you know as a culture can approach this and then and then as an individual what are the ways in which you can really take your brain to the highest level?
1: Well the the first one around culture. It is time that we stopped spraying antibiotics on the soil of the planet. It's called glyphosate or Roundup. Monsanto makes it and Bayer may be buying Monsanto. Not acceptable. The bacteria from the environment talk to the bacteria in your gut. They inform your body of what's going on and when you spray antibiotics like this because they also kill weeds uh, onto soil, you're destroying the soil that is the foundation of the web of life on our planet. If you do that, we're never going to like how we feel. Glyphosate causes profound problems in people, but And it shows up in
0: 90% of people's- Yeah. If we did a urine test, it would show up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It probably wouldn't show up in me.
0: I I would be shocked. (laughs) You've done some work, right? Yeah. But but in most Americans, most people, in fact, Mm -hmm. not even just Americans, but- Most people in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we know it's bad for us. They've known for 30 years it's bad for you. And one of the other things that this stuff does when you spray it on soil, it makes the fungus in soil highly aggressive and it makes a lot of these toxins called mycotoxins that are decimating fertility in animals and in humans. So I did a documentary called Moldy, it's at moldymovie.com, and I interviewed a dozen experts including Dr. Amen and Dr. Hyman who spoke at the Jim Quicks conference this week. and. I interviewed a dozen people, smart, educated people who were completely knocked out by toxic mold growing in their walls that didn't exist 30 years ago. It exists because we changed the environment around us, and it changed in response. We're in control of this now. We can spray whatever we want. We can do whatever temperature, whatever humidity, whatever light exposure. We can tune all this stuff, but no one ever thought to tune it to make us stronger. They wanted to make it cheaper, and it's the same with our food supply. So whoa. The national conversation or the global conversation needs to be is what are the foods that make people strong?
0: Mm.
1: What are the foods that make them weak? And then let's stop producing the foods that make people weak. And I'm talking white sugar, I'm talking flour, Mm. and I'm talking corn. Now you might, if if we were to do an analysis of both of our bodies, you'll find the carbon in your body, the vast majority of it actually comes from corn products. Hmm. It's an unusual thing that you can do that but corn has an unusual isotope in it so you can track whether your cells are made out of corn. You look at a corn-fed animal; it's essentially all corn. <laughs> uh, no one, no one really pays attention to that. But it's fascinating when we get into the science. The problem is that corn monoculture is destroying large swaths of, of our uh, of our planet. But also, corn is primarily sugar and carbohydrate, and it's a it's in everything. Yeah, it's in everything. So, how are we going to change that? Well, what if we sat down and we said, "All right." This won't happen in the U.S., by the way. It's, it's too controlled by large corporations. But if you're in a smaller country or even a country that's less developed, uh, or heck, even Russia. Russia just banned GMOs, right? And I'm not necessarily opposed to GMOs. It's just that they aren't tested. And when they can reproduce in the wild, I have a problem with that. And the fact that they always come with huge amounts of pesticide and environmental destruction, I'm, I'm opposed to that. But what Russia does, no Roundup. Like, we're just not going to do it. Europe's looking to ban it. So, if you were to sit down as a, call it say a benevolent dictator and say, I'm going to build a food supply in my country that makes my population stronger, smarter, sexier, better able to reproduce, more focused, you are going to unleash a population that looks like the Vikings did back in the 1600s, 1700s, where they were completely rampaging across Europe because they lived on fish and because they got lots of cold exposure, they kicked ass. There's no reason that any country out there cannot apply the knowledge we have today based on the last 50 years of phenomenal science and build a population of people who are able to thrive and just absolutely kick ass and become the world's top scientists. You know what you do? You start before they're born. That's what I did with my kids my first book What do you do before you get pregnant and during pregnancy so your kids will be smarter healthier and stronger so they have better bone density So their hormones will work right and you get rid of the stuff that makes them weak and you do more of the stuff That makes them strong. Why don't we do that for adults? School lunches are offensive <laughs> Yes, it's all about the cost. It's never about how you feel when you're done you go to my bulletproof coffee shop in Santa Monica It's designed to give you a food high if you leave there hungry like you did something wrong It's not supposed to be possible when you eat right, you don't need to eat every three hours. If you have a desire to snack, you ate wrong the last meal. I, I go four or five hours without eating, and the idea of snacking is kind of abhorrent. Like someone offers you M&Ms, most people have this inner dialogue. I'm like, I don't want that, it would just make me hungry. And I'm not hungry, I'm done. You can eat that way every day, and that just frees up so much mental energy. So that, that's part of it, like building the system around us. Mm-hmm. So when you go to the store, like you have stable fats instead of seed oils because they're cheap. So You look at the long-term cost versus the short-term cost for your food, and you realize eating the highest quality food is the best investment you can make, especially compared to the cost of cardiovascular surgery, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> of basically having your body fall apart when you're 65, and spending all of your money, something like 600,000 people go bankrupt in the US every year because of health care costs. costs. Yeah. This is, It's unacceptable. If you took a fraction of your bankruptcy there and just used it to eat organic food, you, like, you just play the numbers game. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. But let's talk about the brain a little bit Please. more. Please, yeah, i love that. The single most important and impactful thing I've ever done is this 40 Years of Zen program that I do with clients. For 10 weeks of my life, that's a huge investment. I've spent all day every day with electrodes glued to my head looking at my brain waves learning how to put my brain in the states of an advanced Zen meditator without having to spend 20 to 40 years sitting in a cave meditating for an hour a day and having a a daily practice like that. I've had a daily breath work and meditation practice and I've been doing this for a long time. I don't do that now on a daily basis because these states are quantifiable in human beings. You can measure them and if you can measure it, you can train to it. So I can take someone and sit them down for two years with a daily practice and I can teach them to take themselves gently out of a fight or flight response. I can hook a $100 sensor up to their ear, stick it into their iPhone, and it takes 10 minutes a day for six weeks and I can teach them the same thing better. You couldn't do that 20 years ago. Never in history has it been this easy to have control of the actual wiring in your body. That's a simple thing and I use that in 40 Years of Zen as the starter. But then when you look at the brain, you can actually tell when you're lying to yourself. And what we do, and and this is incontrovertible, our bodies react to the environment around us and then we make up a story about why we did what we did.
0: Mm.
1: And and that's actually, should be terrifying. And if you don't believe me, lean against a hot stove accidentally and then pull your hand away. Because what happens? Something pulls your hand away and you go, that was really hot. You did not realize it was hot and decide to move your hand away. Something acted and then you told yourself a story that you moved because it was hot, Like no. If you look at that one instance, it wasn't you. It was an automatic system. So you feel an emotion, then you make up a story about why you feel the emotion. And the fact is, you know, when I saw you, it was like, oh, you know, your hair looks a certain way in seventh grade, some guy teased me like that. And, I, and it creates a subtle sense of discomfort, right? Then I'll make up a story about the discomfort, right? It, it's because, and it could be something entirely unrelated, but we do this to ourselves all day, every day. But when you have a lie detector on your head, you can't you can't tell yourself lies anymore. Every time I've done this, and with every client I've ever brought through this, they either cry or throw up or both because it's so terrifying when you see how much of how much power you have to deceive yourself. I've gone through and done this relentlessly with this lie detector thing, including around the practice of forgiveness, which is at the core of what I do and why I can stand on stage with the the presence that I have, why I can work with people the way I do. It's because I've gone through and have forgiven everyone and everything in my life with a lie detector. It's pretty easy to say, you know, I forgive my parents because, you know, that one time when I was 12 and, you know, they did something I didn't like. and blah, blah blah. We all have these dumb stories that were put in our bodies without our permission and knowledge, but we're all capable of going through and authentically forgiving. It just takes a lot of work,
0: Mm. right? What's the key to authentic forgiveness?
1: I I think a lie detector is the fastest one. But understanding that forgiveness isn't something you tell someone, Mm. and we're all taught this as kids. Forgive your sister, right? You say you're sorry. Say you're sorry doesn't do anything. Forgiveness is actually a biological act it's an electrochemical thing you do in your body, and it has a certain sensation associated with it. Most people feel it right here in their in their chest. So there's a process. In fact, I'd recommend uh, Vishen Lakhani's book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. He, he walks through this pretty well, and this is something that we specifically teach in the 40 Years of Zen program. The whole idea there is you sit down, and first you're like, okay, there's a feeling. What's the story I told myself about the feeling? And then you sort of you're meditating. You're, you've got headphones on, you've got electrodes on your head, and you're like, all right, where could this come from? And, and you think about it, and something will pop in your head, and you go back there. It's, it's, a, it's self-reflection. It's meditation, mm-hmm. right? But then, like, okay, I want to take the charge off that. I want to not have the automated reaction anymore. So you do this thing, and you can tell if you did it right, because the sounds got louder. But what it basically looks like is you realize that Every single bad thing that ever happened to you also had a bright side. And instead of talking about forgiveness here, we're talking about gratitude, which in my big talk I just gave, gratitude was my secret power, my superpower, right? It it wasn't biohacking. It wasn't coffee. It wasn't electrical stimulation, although I like all those things. It was gratitude, Mm. right? Because when you are grateful for something, including you know, I'm grateful that a car ran over me. What? Like, you should be pretty pissed off. Like, some asshole just ran over your legs, right? Like, like this is bad, right? Yeah. But it, it, there is always a silver lining, and you can always find it. And it doesn't matter how inane it is. Like, I'm really grateful that the car that ran over me was a Mercedes, because if someone's going to run over me, <laughs> like at least it wasn't a beater, right? OK? Seriously, make something up. Uh, I'm glad I won't have a day like this again. And when you do that little switch to tell your body, you know what, it wasn't all glass half empty. There was also glass half full in there. It starts this cascade of things that happen.
0: So you're patterning new grooves. In other words, mm-hmm. you're moving away from the sort of record that was yeah. playing that kept you in a, mm-hmm. in a mindset that was yeah. debilitating mm-hmm. and creating new grooves in, yeah. in, in the form of, of thoughts that, that are based on gratitude.
1: They're based on gratitude. And then you, you put yourself in the other person's shoes. Okay, so, so my story was, oh, I'm, you know, I'm such a victim. You're like Actually, okay, something good did come out of this, and the truth is I didn't like what happened, but something good did come of it. And then you look at the other person's perspective, right? The person who ran over you probably feels pretty bad about it, right? Even if they ran away, like they're cowering, and, and they're probably in a dark place. In fact, let's, let's go for a simpler one. When someone cuts you off in traffic, unless you're an incredibly enlightened being, your nervous system will prepare to kill them. Right? No one likes to be cut off in traffic. Like it, it will raise your hackles, right? and then you'll think bad thoughts about the other person. What I do now, after it took two weeks of driving with a sensor on my ear to be able to do this. like This was not easy. Uh, I used to have a very active middle finger. and What I do now is I'm like, look, someone cuts in front of me, they could be on the way to the hospital with a pregnant wife in the back of the car. Mm. Right? They could be driving to see their parents who just got in a car accident. You just don't know. So I could say, that guy's an asshole and he cut me off because he thinks he's better than me. Or I could say, he cut me off because he needed to get there more than I did. Mm. They're both stories and neither one of them has any bearing on reality. I'm gonna pick my narrative. Yeah. Right? You can learn to do that. And when you do it, it changes the way your heart beats. The spacing between your heartbeats will change. The galvanic skin response on your body will change. So you can go through and you can rewire yourself through this process that involves gratitude, and involves forgiveness. And then you check in with yourself. Like, did I actually do this? Did I actually forgive? And with a lie detector, it's easier. There's a, a, another practice where you, you visualize three supreme, supreme all-knowing beings. Different people choose different deities, whatever else. But you just, you literally, your eyes are closed, you're going back, you're feeling this thing. You visualize these three things, you say, ask being number one, did I actually forgive them? Yes, no, maybe. But if, you, if all three of them agree, the odds are pretty good, but usually if, you're, if there's self-deception, you'll, you'll, you won't get a positive signal from all three. Mm-hmm. Now, a hardcore scientist skeptic listening to this, you don't have to do it, right? I, I, I can tell you the science of consciousness is hard and we're studying these things, but I can tell you that when someone authentically forgives, their brain waves change in a predictable way. I can give you a signal that says when you did this or not. You might have a better way of doing it, I don't know, and you don't have to believe in supreme beings to make one up in your head as a tool to do a meditation technique. So. Like, like, it's okay that not everyone is going to do this. And it's okay if you try and it doesn't work. But this sure. is something that works under a neurofeedback kind of condition. And there are tons of books written. You can do journaling. There's all kinds of things. But if you don't build a daily gratitude practice in, you're not going to do this. And if you have, like, deep-seated trauma, you're going to need to do heart rate variability training, which is the ear sensor thing I talked about. I read a lot about that on the blog. You're going to need to do neurofeedback. You're going to need to do something called EMDR, eye movement dissociative something, I forget what the R stands for. Uh, But these are core technologies that let you go in and rewire your automated responses. Because otherwise, you'll go through life doing things that you're ashamed of and hurting people you care about and then making up stories about why you did it Mm. and reacting in ways that you don't like and then thinking it's because you're a bad person. No, it's because you have poor programming in your meat hardware. It wasn't you. It was things designed to keep the species alive. So I look at how big of a dick I used to be (laughs) and I look at where I am now and I reprogrammed a lot of the automated dick machinery that I had in me, mm. and I'm pretty damn grateful for that.
0: So you've you've basically changed your your, your software in terms of and because you talk a lot about your hardware, so to speak, in terms mm-hmm. of your actual physical being and your physical body. But what you're talking about in this in this instance is what's the software, what's your operating system that's driving your thoughts, your ways of being, and how can you sort of shift oh. those?
1: It it's kind of like this, and. So I, I'm one of like the early cloud computing pioneer guys that used to run strategy for one of the top virtualization companies, so I, I get a little bit geeky. and I don't want to be too techy, because then uh, people who aren't techies won't get it. But you have hardware, like processors and memory and hard drives and things like that. Right? Then you have an operating system. And then you have applications. And the applications don't know there's an operating system there. They, they just get what they're given from it. Right? And then what you can do is you can get a bigger processor and everything's faster. Or you can change the operating system, and the applications will do different things. Well, you, as you see yourself, and me, we're applications. Our meat operating system there is this thing, and it has all sorts of rules designed to keep the meat alive, even if you're not in there, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing a deer has, or a Labrador, or a mouse. It's, if you hear a noise, run. <laughs> like, we have the same wiring. Is that a tiger?
0: Yeah, right? amygdala.
1: Right. So. Firefly. The things that trigger the amygdala though I'll tell you one of the most profound things that affected my life that I didn't know about till I was 30 I was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck Mm. So I came into the world thinking it was a hostile place full of things that wanted to kill me unknown unseen things I've never seen light before other than like through the side of the womb right like you come into the world all of us kind of come in that way Uh, Not being strangled, but a lot of people come in with strange birthing experiences with forceps and birth trauma is incredibly common right now. So if your core programming, where you come into the world and your body is working really hard to create rules to get you to be old enough to reproduce, that's the only job of the body there. It's going to learn everything in those first seven years. And all of those become operating system rules. Hmm. They are not conscious. They're not thoughts. They're faster. And this is really convenient because you'll pull your hand away before you smell burning flesh. And if you're about to fall off a cliff, something will pull you back. It's not you, right? Mm. You have these great responses that keep you alive, reflexes and things like that. Well, if the things that trigger those are everyday life situations, you will have high cortisol. You'll have high sympathetic activation. I was always in fight or flight response 24-7 until I was 30 and uh, realized that many of my personality traits actually came from these very early experiences. Okay. I really wish they would teach this. I was, I, It was like someone hit me in the gut. I met I'm Barbara Van Dyson. She's the head of the American Pre- and Perinatal Psychology Association. Mm-hmm. And she's been, for her entire career, helping people, especially kids, but adults too, uh, who have birth trauma. And she kind of took one look at me and said, tell me about your birth. And I'm like, birth, I don't know, like like vaginas, hospitals, like I, I was there, I guess, but I don't remember it. And, and I mentioned that the umbilical cord, she goes, I thought so. And she puts up a PowerPoint, which is like a SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunity threats, completely predicting all of my attributes that I didn't like. And she's like, does that look like you? I'm like, are you a witch? You know, like, like how is this possible? And she's like, no, it's science. Like, We know that these experiences lead to these personality traits. Mm. And then she helped me to repattern some of those things, and I did a lot more of that under neurofeedback and with heart rate variability. But here's the thing, it's invisible, right? I didn't know that, no one told me that stuff until I just happened across an expert who would spent her entire life studying this. So what I do with Bulletproof is I go out there and I meet these experts who have spent their life looking at these little things and I curate these things. For every person who is profound stuff like that, I meet like 20 people. I don't want to call them crazy because some of them are onto really amazing stuff and I just don't get it, and some people who probably are a little crazy, right? <laughs> or at least they're, they're on a, maybe they're not crazy, they're rational, they're just on a very different track. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned something profound. Uh, I was one one class away from a minor in religious studies in my undergrad and I realized I could I could pad my GPA because religious studies classes were pretty easy to ace Mm -hmm. (laughs) compared to engineering classes. Sure. So, I was, I was taking this class called Religion and Violence and we studied Jim Jones and and Branch Davidians and all these like cults where like religion was used to, to cause great suffering. And, the professor was a rabbinical scholar. Like, hey, why, uh, why do these people act this way? And, and I, I raised my hand, I said, because they're irrational. Right? And, the professor laughed at me. He goes, "No," he said. These people are very rational. It's because they have different core assumptions than than, than you do. All of their behaviors are rational if you believe what they believe. Mm. And I carried that message to to this day. Right? So the people that I might think of as crazy, they have some core assumptions. They might be wrong assumptions, but the people are generally not crazy. The people who are actually crazy are the ones who are acting entirely out of their automated rules, and they've told themselves such a strong story about it that they're willing to harm other people. Uh, these are people who were bullied in high school and grew up to be adults and never stopped bullying. So, uh, like, like, This kind of thing happens all the time, but it's unconscious behavior. So.
0: What do you think is the key? I mean... Obviously, the food supply, we can talk about wheat, sugar, all these things, but but also as you're kind of focusing a little bit on the mindset, why do you think we have this epidemic of obesity?
1: We have an epidemic of obesity because our food supply is broken. There is no willpower component about obesity. There is such a thing as emotional eating. Mm. And... That comes from trauma, and it comes from bad programming, and the programming there is that there's three survival instincts and only three that are required for us to live. One of them is eat everything so you don't starve, one of them is run away or kill things that are scary, and the other one is have sex with everything to make sure the species survives. You do those three things, those are the operating system principles for everyone and every species on the planet, including like bacteria, Right? Eat everything you can eat. <laughs> Split as often as you can. But, like, this is just the core operating principles of life, yeah. right? Uh, so when you're doing an emotional eating situation like that, what's happening is there's so much fear that's always triggered that you're taking the satisfaction that comes from the food and applying it to the feeling of fear. When you can address the feeling of fear and the trauma, you undo the rules that cause those emotions to happen the emotional eating disappears. And it can disappear overnight. And I've seen it over and over. When people do neurofeedback, they realize what's going on. And like, oh, I, I dropped it
0: overnight. What are some, if, if someone doesn't have access, it's just, Mm-hmm. So neurofeedback is one aspect mm-hmm. to, to access to, to measure that. What are some of the other tools that you find to be um, profound in people's ability to shift their state? In other words, to okay. move from a place of whether, whether they're, they're carrying extra weight literally or meta, mm-hmm. or, or metaphorically. Uh, so right. how could someone move from that place to a place of optimum health?
1: Well, I don't believe that most obesity today is from emotional eating. Mm. There's certainly some of that, particularly if you've been uh, sexually abused as a child. The odds of you being obese go up dramatically, and this is actually your meat operating system believing that if you're bigger, it wouldn't happen to you. So you actually make yourself bigger, right? Bad rules. (laughs) So if this is an underlying issue for someone, okay, then you've got to address that rule. But most of the time, people are obese because they're eating crap and because they're exposed to more toxins than they've ever been exposed to before. It's not because we exercise less. Mm. It, that is not a great variable at all for losing weight. It's because we eat the wrong fats. We don't eat enough of the right fats. We eat way too much sugar too much carbohydrate. I'm not saying to eat zero carbohydrate. That doesn't work for most people. We don't eat enough vegetables. And the meat that most people eat is tainted with antibiotics that are used to make animals fat. Mm. Newsflash: we're animals.
0: Sure. So if I, which I did, grew up in the Midwest and grew up on, you know, meat and potatoes and the, and the fast food and et cetera, yeah. I mean, I obviously it uh, wasn't a, a negligence. It was just that was what was done. Um, what are the ways in which if you're a mom in Wichita, Kansas with three kids and unfortunately more, you know, the majority of restaurants around you are fast food restaurants and grocery, grocery, you know, grocery stores carry traditional conventional produce what are what are the ways that people can um access clean healthy food um given the fact that many people live in food deserts
1: grass-fed butter is available almost everywhere Mm. if you're in a real food desert like in an inner city and all you have is 7-eleven unless you have access to e-commerce you're probably hosed Mm. like i hate to say it it just may not be accessible right and I'd like to say move. Yeah, well,
0: flat <laughs> market and others are trying yeah. to make it more accessible through yeah. online technology. But yeah, yeah. But
1: the thing is, if you have access to e-commerce, that's cool. But there are a lot of people who don't have don't credit cards. Yeah, right? exactly. You don't have a credit card; it's pretty hard to buy stuff online. Maybe you charge up your PayPal account, but it gets to be really complex. And also, if, if you're like, I need to pay my phone bill so I can get to work other and all priorities. that. Right, other priorities. So at sometimes it it's not an acceptable state that our society is there, but that's where we are. Mm-hmm. But for most people, even even students, and people on a a very limited budget, a pound of grass-fed butter is about three bucks. The the cost per calorie on that is incredibly low. It's actually more effective than a Happy Meal. Mm. That's pretty interesting. So what about coconut oil? Mm. Pretty darned affordable, Mm. right? Uh, I'll be happy to send you some Brain Octane and all this stuff, but you're not gonna buy my stuff, right? Uh, because uh, the Bulletproof stuff is is premium and it it has different biological characteristics. Mm. So to be Bulletproof, you don't have to buy the Bulletproof stuff. But eggs, assuming you're not sensitive to eggs, which a good number of people are, I I really struggle. Are those a suspect food or a Bulletproof food? I put them in the Bulletproof category because most people feel so much better when they get their HDL up from eating egg yolks. Even if they're conventional eggs, there are problems with conventional eggs, but they're small problems compared to eating soy nuggets. Mm -hmm. So eggs and cooked in butter, Mm -hmm. right? That is a very, very affordable food. I talk about Bulletproof starches, you can eat white rice, Mm -hmm. it's dirt cheap. You don't eat a lot of it, but you can have that for dinner, and that's pennies. right? And vegetables, you go to Costco, and you buy frozen vegetables, you don't buy the fresh vegetables, you buy the biggest bags they have, and you eat a lot of vegetables, Mm -hmm. right? And
0: How much, what what percentage uh, of your plate should be vegetables?
1: You take your plate, you cover it with vegetables, Mm You put on a moderate amount of high-quality protein. If if you're in a a true food desert, you probably can't find very much high-quality protein. You could use a scoop of bulletproof collagen powder or something. But you could also, if you can do it, get fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, And usually there's fish. It doesn't have to be like the highest-end cut of fish, but fish is good for you. And grass-fed meat, if you buy it at uh, Whole Foods or something, it, it's premium priced. If you're in a position where you can have a freezer and you can order it online, it's actually quite affordable. It costs about the same when you buy 25 pounds of it, including shipping, than it would cost to buy it fresh at, at the local grocery store. So you can get quality meat, and you don't need that much of it. I'm proposing you spend more money on your meat, but you eat less, less of it. Yeah. So it's the same budget amount that you would have had for your meat before. And here's the trick. Covered in, in vegetables, moderate amount of meat, and then... You've got to put at least half the calories from fat, Mm. which means you add butter, you add brain octane oil, you add olive oil, you add guacamole, uh, you add coconut oil if you like that taste in your food, which honestly, coconut oil on a lot of vegetables isn't so flavorful. Uh, The brain octane has no flavor, and it's 18 times stronger. That's why I use that in my cooking for most of my recipes, unless they're desserts now. Um, Different biological effects, too. But... You can, do, you can do that in a, in a very cost-effective way. A you know, five-pound bucket of coconut oil mm-hmm. ordered online lasts for a very long time. It doesn't spoil. Certainly. Right? And okay, now you've got, you've got something going on here. Mm-hmm.
0: What, what are, if you had three, and I know Bulletproof Diet, but in addition to that, if you had three sort of overall resources, books, individuals, sources that people can find for free that you feel that, that would really help them upgrade their life, and this can be Beyond Diet but inclusive mm-hmm. of diet. What would those three resources be?
1: So online resources?
0: Can be online, can be offline, you know, go, some of you have a book you can pick up at your local library. All right. Here's a here's a book that I think everyone should read. Mm. It's
1: old. It's wonderful. Have it's I've called heard. Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. This is a book by a guy Napoleon Hill. I yeah. I'm guessing half of the people listening know about this. If you don't, it, it's probably free online at this point. This guy went around for 20 years and asked self-made millionaires what worked for them, and built a system on this. And the system is accurate. And most of the personal development, personal growth stuff you see today comes out of this body of knowledge. I read this book when I was 16, and one of the things it tells you to do is you know, write down what you want, you know, set an intent, look at it twice a day, put it on your mirror. So when I was 16, I wrote down, I want to have a million dollars by the time I'm 23. Like, I was very money-focused. At the time, I believed that money would make me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't understand that happiness actually makes you money. It's, it's totally the other <laughs> way around.
0: So you're being, that. what you're doing, yes. Uh, yeah,
1: right? And, and so I was all focused on the stuff. If only I only have a million dollars, I'll be happy and I'll be safe. Like, I didn't know this was my programming, but this is, in retrospect, the way I was operating. And... Well, it didn't work, because when I was 26, I made $6 million, but when I was 23, I didn't have a million dollars. But right, it, it really did set this trajectory, and I didn't say make and keep, so I lost it when I was 28. So I had this period of, like, I'm profoundly wealthy, and then I'll be working for the next you know, 40 years like everyone else kind of thing. So I, I've you know had that experience, which really informed a lot. You know what I found when I had $6 million? What? I could have quit my job, sold all my stock, and kept my $6 million, but... I knew too much. I wasn't allowed to sell my my shares in the company where I worked because I was in charge of mergers and acquisition diligence and all this. So I stayed at the company and I held on to my shares of stock as the company cratered and I lost my $6 million. I did that because I thought that the stock would, would grow and then I'd have $10 million. Now, $6 million is enough for any human on earth to be set for life. Right? It might not buy you whatever the latest private jet is, but you'll invest it and then it will. Like, like that is a profound amount of wealth when you're that young. And I made that decision because when I had $6 million, I'll be happy when I have 10. And I know that it, when I would have gotten to 10, I've said all it takes is 20. Mm-hmm. Right, And I've seen multi millionaires, multi, multi-hundred millionaires who are still on that track. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are like, I'm so profoundly lucky, I'm grateful, and now, how am I gonna use this amazing gift to change the world, to give back, and to help people? And those are the ones I surround myself with. I spend time with guys like like, like Peter Diamandis, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, guys like Joe Polish, uh, who runs the Genius Network, and uh, JJ Virgin, who runs Mindshare. She's helping all these health entrepreneurs uh, change the world. These are people who have enough money to be comfortable, to go do whatever they want to do. They could go live on an island or something, but instead, they're like, how do I make it better? Uh, And that makes them the happiest people that I know, not because they have money, but because they're giving back. Mm -hmm. I gave a talk at the Bulletproof conference last year about happiness, and it turns out there is a price for happiness. It's $75,000. Your happiness increases as you make money up to $75,000. And after that, you get no additional happiness for every $1,000 you make, because for happiness to happen, it's easier when you don't have to worry about making rent and having enough food and being able to call your mom. <laughs> like those, those core basic core, necessities. Yeah. When those are covered, happiness doesn't come from money. But we are programmed very heavily to believe that it does. You know, if only I have this, then I'll be happy. Well, That's not what the science shows us. right? And the people who are happiest are the ones who are giving back. So that's uh, I don't know how I got off on that. Tantrum, Science of
0: service, yeah. No, I, mean, I think I, I I totally resonate with that. What about two additional resources?
1: So Napoleon Hill talked about all that stuff, uh, intent and and all that. Napoleon Hill got to read the book. Mm. Uh, two other resources like that. If you don't have your food in order, you're you're just not going to get it. So. Perhaps the first book, I have a a copy of this on my shelf, and I'm kind of going back, um, is the original Atkins diet book, Hmm. right? And Atkins told you to eat too much protein and didn't tell you the right kinds of fat. The reason this is important is it was written the year I was born. The knowledge we have now has been out there my entire life, yet most of the world governments tell people to eat crap. That is the exact opposite of science we knew then. So this is their, I don't know if people will read the book or not, or just be aware of it. But the idea is that you, there's always different viewpoints and you need to consider all of them. And just understand that if you're not getting the results that you're looking for, you need to look elsewhere. The biggest mistake that I made was I kept doing things that didn't work, hoping that they would work if only I did them harder. Mm -hmm. And the Atkins diet, for me, I I lost half the weight I needed to on that in the very early days. I couldn't lose the other half because there were problems with it. But just the idea that this knowledge has been out there for longer than most people watching this have been alive, or at least as long as they've been alive. Um, But it was not, you weren't plugged into it. So it's that this knowledge is always out there, but you're going to have to search for it. And the third book. I'm trying to figure out like a book about consciousness that would be the right one to read. I'll talk about a really obscure book. I'm not sure, I don't even know if people can get copies of it. Is the problem. It's the only book I've ever read that has a shrink wrap warning on it. And the warning says, listen, a third of the people who participated in this research are either dead or crazy as a result of it. So don't do this at home. <laughs> and the book is called Peak States of Consciousness.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, I, I, most people, you read the book. It, it goes into incredibly bizarre stuff. And what this guy did, he had an unusual state of consciousness, and he studied every state of consciousness you could possibly do. Because one day in his mid twenties, he stopped being happy and he didn't know why, and just became obsessed with it. So. There are countless books like this out there and this one is is one of the more extreme ones I know, but the whole point is if you're not reading a book about consciousness and awareness and meditation and things like that on a regular basis, you're probably not thinking about what's possible. Uh, Jim Quick talks about this fast thing, it, it's an a, an abbreviation to help you remember things, but the T the, the in there is to think, like, think about what's possible. And understanding that there are altered states of performance are really important. The state of high performance, if it's the tagline for bullet, bulletproof, you know, bulletproof, the state of high performance, it's an altered state. It's an abnormal state. The average state of performance is what most people are in. right? And what I'm looking for, I want to be in an altered state. I want to be at the very highest performing version of myself, many standards of deviation away from normal away from my normal if I don't do anything and away from the average of all of our society. And I think everyone wants to do that, which is cool, because that means that the middle of the curve will shift up. Like, we will get smarter and higher performing and nicer as a species if everyone starts pushing in that direction. But there are books like this, and maybe a much more accessible book that, that comes to mind that explains a lot of those techniques, would be uh, Vishen Lakhani's book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. I just spent—I I know it's been on the New York Times list for a couple weeks right now. And Vishen's a friend. I just came back from his conference uh, actually last week in Greece called A-Fest. And he goes through and talks about his life and breaks this down into a bunch of different codes made up uh, a couple different words which are uh, really profound. One of them is called rules, which stands for bullshit rules. And... In the Code of the Extraordinary Mind, these are the rules that society imposes on you and you believe you have to follow them or, get this, this is where it always goes. If you don't follow the rules of society, you'll be outcast. If you're an outcast, no one will take care of you. If no one takes care of you, you'll die. So. That meat operating system steps right in and says, yep, you got to do what you're told. You've got to be in a cubicle, nine to five, and whatever else it is. So he has a structured process in there for getting rid of those rules, which is really, really helpful and much more accessible than the very bizarre altered state stuff from the other book. Then you also look at the other, uh, the other things that he talks about with, including a state that is terribly important. He names it unfuckwithable. Hmm. And I love uh, the way he coined that word because uh, that is what happens when you get rid of, of the rules in your operating system that are not serving you. Mm. Uh, like something that before would have thrown you off, right? Like, like it doesn't do it anymore. Limiting like, beliefs. Yeah, not just beliefs, limited, limiting reactionary rules that happen before you even have beliefs mm. about them. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you're highly resilient. And I wasn't born resilient. I had arthritis when I was 14. I was always sick as a kid. I weighed 300 pounds. I had my covered in stretch marks when I was fat. Uh, And I don't have the strongest biology. It's way stronger now than it ever has been before, and I'm going to keep making it stronger. Uh, But resilience comes in part from your biology, and in part from your belief systems and all that, and that unfuckwithable state is when you change your belief systems to the point that external factors don't have an impact on you. Mm. And, and here's the weird thing that happens, like in boardrooms. And I've spent a lot of time in boardrooms and senior executive this and that in Silicon Valley and all that stuff. And I'm running a, a company that's doing okay. And people will sit there, and you get a type of person who knows how to act in a boardroom and they'll say the right thing. And when you actually pay attention to them, you know damn well they're saying the right thing, and you know that they have no, no integrity behind it, that they don't feel that way, they don't act that way, like they're, they're scared, they're upset, whatever it is, but they're gonna do the dance, mm. okay? That works, right? They're not happy, <laughs> but sure. it works. And there's another kind of person who's like, my survival is not a threat here, even if no one likes me, even if I'm about to lose my job, even if the company is about to fail. I'm gonna do the right thing. And they're gonna do it from here. Integrity. Yeah, and that is the unfuckwithable state where what you're talking about is uh, the ability to not be emotionally swayed by these external things. You might feel it, you might feel the emotion, but you know what it is. You know the story you're telling yourself about it is an accurate reflection of reality versus what happens when most people just get wrapped around the axle of their thoughts mm. and they, they end up making poor decisions in boardrooms because they haven't figured out how to have uh, emotional and cognitive resilience at the same time. Mm. So it's funny, we're talking about biohacking, this idea of changing the environment around you, but give me more energy in my cells, remove the things that make me weak, and I'll have so much energy in my biology that I can start paying attention to all these weird conversations in my head and I can start sorting them out and I can start improving them. If we go the other way around and say, I want to fix the messages in my head, but my biology isn't working, your biology will be thinking about only three things. I'm so scared right now, something might kill me. I better eat right now or I'll die, and I better have sex or the whole species will die. And you'll just think about those all the time because you're too damn tired and you used up all your willpower. It takes willpower to change your programming, but if you waste the willpower on like kale salad and whatever else... And thinking, I should be full of energy because I ate 100 calories instead of 300 calories with enough fat to be useful. Well, no wonder you're tired, no wonder you're distracted, no wonder when you meditate and you try and become a better person, nothing happens. It's because you did it in the wrong order. Get the biology working and then fix the
0: software. Mm. There's actually a book that you mentioned that you just triggered, which is called Resilience by Eric Reitens, who's a former Navy SEAL. That's actually a really interesting book. Um, But we're actually running out of time, and I want to be mindful of your time. Thank you for all of the insights you've shared. Um, I'll leave you with one final question, uh, Dave, which is if you were to isolate one or two keys to the peak mind, and the peak mind in whatever way that you interpret that to mean, what would those be?
1: One or two keys to the peak mind. Uh, the first one is, is fat. If, it, if you look at what's in your mind, it's actually water. Okay, so assume you have good, clean water in your mind. What's left is more fat than anything else. A little bit of protein, lots and lots of the right fats. So if you are expecting to have a peak mind and you are gonna be on a low fat or a vegan diet, you are not doing it right. And I wish it was not that way and I'm sure that that just angered a few vegans. I used to be a raw vegan. I, I've, I've looked at this. It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Like it'd be convenient if it did. So you've got to have enough fat, and that includes saturated fats and not just coconut oil. That is a saturated fat, but it doesn't have a full set of saturated fats in it. You've got to get some dairy fat, dairy protein, maybe not, but fat for the peak mind is critically important. And if you try brain octane in it, it'll work better. It always does because fat like that that raises ketones will make your brain work better, and you will feel it on the first day. In fact, I, I believe that so strongly. Like, if people try Brain Octane, they can get their money back if they don't like it. But no one ever does because it, that's why bulletproof coffee is popular, because it works. So, so, healthy fats. Fat for the head. And that doesn't mean corn oil. When we say healthy fats, people hear corn and soy and vegetable oil. No. I mean saturated fats from dead animals. Those kind of fats. They could be alive still.
0: Vegans are going to not be happy with this.
1: Uh, you know how many vegans now eat ghee? I was at David Wolf's conference, and I talked to them about the benefits of ghee. Grass-fed ghee actually makes healthier soil, so vegans should be eating ghee if they care about our soil and they care about what grows their vegetables. Mm. So just adding ghee to a vegan diet will transform your cognitive abilities. Like, it is that important. So you don't have to kill anything. You can be vegetarian, right? But you gotta get these fats in your body. Okay. Second thing for a peak mind is probably breathing. And I talk about, uh, I talk about gratitude, And I talk about all these different things you can do, but uh, if you are practicing those other things and you don't know how to breathe, you will not have the peak mind state you're capable of. So the simplest breath is something called a a box breath, and I'll teach people real quick because it's free and easy. So you breathe in for five seconds, like... Hold for five seconds. That's the top of the box. You breathe out for five seconds through the nose. Now hold empty for five seconds. Do that over and over. And what you'll find is that your your nervous system calms down. You go out of fight or flight response. They actually use this for Navy SEALs and special forces. And it's really interesting when you first start breathing, holding your lungs empty. For most people, you just breathe out, hold empty. It'll trigger a feeling of panic,
0: Hmm.
1: right? You're not actually gonna die if your lungs are empty, but your body tells you you're gonna die. When people first start practicing pranayama, You breathe out. Like, I can't hold that for five seconds. Are you kidding me? Like, like there's like a burning need. That's a lie from your operating system. You can hold your lungs empty. It's just a lie. Right. At a certain point, you will die. But that point is so far away from holding your breath empty for just a few seconds. So that's a way of training the nervous system. I'm in charge. You calm down. And this breath is a way to do that.
0: Box breath. Yep. I like it. Dave Asprey. Cool. Thank you so much. You really appreciate it. your time. Happy to be here. Yes. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dave Asprey. I know I did. Uh, Incredibly knowledgeable guy. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know him and and starting to develop a a relationship. Um, The Upgrade Conference was epic. Again, highly recommend checking him out in the Broken Brain series, which I'll I'll link below. Um, Really powerful for helping to protect and unleash your full potential, especially as it relates to cognition. Um, if you like the episode, please go ahead and leave us a review, um, a rating and review and subscribe. Uh, it means the world to me. The algorithm pushes up um, podcasts as they see more activity. So uh, this community uh, has been so gracious and has, has sent such lovely feedback and it means the world to me. So go ahead and tag at Dave Asprey, tag at Michael Trainer, and post on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter and let us know where you're listening and what you got from the episode Um, really love to interact with this community. So with that, thank you so much for listening and please go out there and live your inspired life.